Hello, and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and I've got to say today's episode will be absolutely electric. But before we dive into the world of innovation and inspiration, a quick reminder to check us out at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for all the latest updates. Now, I've got to give a massive shout out to our sponsor, Speroni, for their continuous support. They truly help keep the gears of our podcast turning. Today, folks, we're thrilled to introduce a guest who is a powerhouse of inspiration and change. Brittany Greer, the executive director and founder of Rosie Riveters, is a trailblazer in the world of STEM. With a background that spans award-winning social and digital media campaigning in various sectors, Brittany's journey is nothing short of remarkable. But it's her passion for engaging women in STEM, kindled during her time with the World of Association of Nuclear Operators, which we're going to have to talk about, Brittany, uh, that stands out. Brittany saw a glaring gap, a lack of STEM programming for young women, especially before middle school, a critical period when interest in these fields often wanes. Determined to bridge this gap, she founded Rosie Riveters after returning to the U.S., creating a fun and empowering space for girls ages 4 to 18 to explore and excel in STEM. Her story isn't just about breaking barriers. It's about building bridges for the next generation of female innovators. So gear up, listeners, as we dive into a conversation filled with passion, purpose, and the power of persistence. Welcome, Brittany Greer, to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hi, Brittany. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to chat with you. Yeah, I am too. I am too. Um, you and I were connected. Uh, Tanya Perkins here in Arizona uh, went to the MEP conference and she met you and she came home uh, back to Arizona. And uh, the first time I saw her after her that uh, conference, she sent sent me a text picture of your card and said, you have to have this woman on your podcast. And so thank you, Tanya, if you're listening out there. Um, and so I reached out to you. Thank you, Brittany, for connecting uh, and, and having conversations with me. I'm really excited to hear more about Rosie Riveters uh, and your work. Um, first, though, uh, Typically, we go through uh, with with some of our guests, and and they tell us their journey, their cultural journey in, in their organization, and and what they've been through as an organization culturally. Um, I want to focus more on your journey, your personal journey. Tell us how uh, how you got into this, and tell us about the World Association of Nuclear uh, Operators. I don't even of what. This is the one instance where going with the acronym makes your life a lot easier. Yeah, so absolutely. WANO, W-A-N-O, World of <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, So let, tell us about this journey. I, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background started in communications. Um, I worked in the campaigns industry. Um, I worked overseas um, on political campaigns and uh, eventually transitioned into the more kind of private sector, working across retail. Uh, I did everything from, you know, digital comms campaigns for Puma and lastminute.com, right? Wow. <laughs> and eventually found myself uh, recruited by an organization called the World Association of Nuclear Operators. Um, and they essentially, just to give a quick bit of background, because I think it's important for context, they are a nonprofit association uh, which operates under a confidentiality clause, and every single nuclear power plant in the world is a member. And wow. they exchange data underneath that confidentiality clause to improve safety, right? And so they second people from plants across the world, and they they do inspections of their sites, and they keep everybody to a standard um, mm -hmm. to to keep safety at the forefront of how they're all operating. Um, and I got recruited uh, to come in with them to build out their external and internal digital communication strategies. 
uh, they are called the World Association of Nuclear Operators, right? People wanted to hear from them. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. How they, how they did that is one of the, is some of the work that we worked with them on. Um, but internally, when we were looking at comms, the conversation with our managing director and team um, was how are we looking at safety culture? How are we looking at reporting of problems? How are we looking at kind of opening up that dialogue? And so the first thing you do in a communications role is pull the data set. Who is your audience? And so I pulled our data set. I was like, oh, okay, great. This is awesome. We're all talking to each other. <laughs> you know, it's basically the same person just kind of plopped in a different country. Right? Same kind of experience, whatever. A lot of people came off of Navy boats because they had been on on nuclear subs, things like that. Um, And I said, look, we can absolutely have a conversation with this audience, but if we really want to shift culture, we need to diversify the audience. So you have additional inputs coming in. Uh, And our managing director, you know, sent us around the world to our teams and talked to women who hadn't become nuclear engineers, despite the lack of representation and everything that had gotten there. Um, And so I, in my role, dug really deeply into why weren't there more women? Um, And it kind of, I'm a big data person. I'm sure that will come out more and more in the conversation. I love it. Um, Like what conversations is data telling us? Uh, When the data was all around, you know, you lost girls by 30% in middle school. And then you just kept losing them by significant numbers as they effectively took their journey from cradle to career. Uh, And there was a ton of programming. There still is. There is room for more. So I don't say this meaning there shouldn't be middle school programs and more of them. There should be. Uh, But there was virtually nothing before then. Right. There was it was it was we're going to solve the problem at the problem point, which is also not the way that I operate. I want to know why is the problem happening in the first place and how do we prevent it from occurring as opposed to trying to. They call it a leak in the pipeline, right? Um, I believe in pathways or you don't have to follow one journey, but they call it a leak in a pipeline. Um, and my reaction to it was, why are we plugging a leak versus replacing the pipe, right? Mm. Why don't we just fix these issues? Um, and so I dove into additional data. I wanted to know what story was out there, what information had been captured. And there wasn't necessarily research specifically looking at that disengagement in middle school, just that it happened, right? Sure. Um, But there was a lot of other kind of peripheral data that I found really fascinating. Um, There were three kind of key points of data. Uh, Girls' confidence drops by 30% between the ages of 8 and 11, which is right overlaps that drop in disengagement in STEM careers. Uh, Girls are academically ahead overall compared to their male counterparts in elementary school. And then there's a really interesting line of data that's out there around girls that are identified as gifted or talented um, or exceptionally talented in that way. Yeah. And the data around that highlights that if you have been academically ahead, right, and your baseline of both society and yourself has been that to be smart or to do something effectively, you need to get it pretty quickly, if not almost immediately, without much of a struggle. Anytime you run into something that isn't quick or immediate, you immediately go, mm, I don't belong here, right? Yeah. Layer on top of that, the praise that young girls get within that elementary school space for the fact that they sit in their chair and they get the good grade on the reading test and they do what they need to do. They don't get the opportunity to have a productive struggle, to get things yeah. wrong before they get them right and to be comfortable with that lack of perfection. And it's this, the same reason why women don't apply for jobs unless they're 180% qualified, right? For me, it happens in elementary school, right? When we're wow. reinforced within that to meet expectation, do all of those things, and do that without a huge lift and shift. There's exceptions to every rule. I want to always say that, right? It's not reflective for everybody. But on the majority, that's what's there. And so looking through that, I was like, well, where is the program to really push girls to get stuff wrong before they get them right. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it wasn't like I was just like, see ya, right? <laughs> in, the, in the interim of this timeline, um, I had my daughter. Uh, I was based in the UK. So I had this crazy thing called the year's worth of maternity leave. Wow. Um, and my family during that time relocated back stateside. And this okay. was pre-COVID, right? And I adored Wano. It was an awesome organization to work with. The work that they do is great, right? But pre-COVID, right, the idea that I was going to live in America and work in my London office wasn't a thing, right? right. <laughs> we don't know 
to do with that. No. So, like, we love you. Goodbye. We'll see you if you come back. Um, there's a, a recommendation on my LinkedIn from my boss going, show. I'll hire her if she comes back to, to the UK. Great. Um, but I had a year's worth of maternity leave still because that's the way the system works. And wow. um, probably by the rate of my speech, you can tell that I, I don't sit. Not that you're idle when you have a baby, right? But like, I'm, I always have like a lot of plates spinning. It's like my personality, yeah. rightly yeah. or wrongly, it's the way I function. <laughs> right. So um, I found myself a lot in the library with my now little baby, right? She was six months old and we went to story time. Wow. And I had this idea in my head and I had built this kind of draft curriculum and I'm looking around my environment. I'm capturing my own data, right? Of the surrounding that I'm, my surroundings. Yeah. And I was like, there's really young moms and parents here in this space with their babies using the library as a resource. And then mm -hmm. we had a retired population who was utilizing the library. The in-between wasn't necessarily there in robust. Yeah. But what did we have? An incredible resource for the community. And libraries were just kind of dipping their toe in the conversation around maker spaces. And right. a lot of the times they didn't really know what that meant for them, right? You have rock star librarians and they were making this pivot, right? Because the world was pivoting. This is pretty cool. So yeah. I approached our librarian and said, hey, I had this idea in my head. I've still got a couple of things to figure out with it. But in theory, if I provided a free STEM program, could I like take over the library on Saturdays? Uh, and their answer was yes. And I was like, cool. Okay, so I've got a free space. And then I drafted out our first levels of curriculum. And honestly, I leveraged a mom's group. So I live in Northern Virginia. Uh, okay. And there is a mom's listserv that is called Mona, Moms of North Arlington. And I posted on the listserv, hey, like meeting other moms. I have a baby. I just moved. This is kind of the things we're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and connected with the woman who is still to this day our external affairs director, Catherine Reader. Okay. Um, for who was a former missions officer for John Hopkins in the engineering department and, oh, a wow. and a bunch of other things. Uh, and she came and she was like, well, let's ask teachers to look at your curriculum and see what they think. And so we put that out to the listserv and we pulled together a whole panel of teachers and industry experts and basically presented the curriculum to them and said, look, I'm not claiming this is perfect, but take it, rip it apart. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. This is the idea that we have, that we want to have a productive struggle with young girls. And the feedback we got from them was, this is everything we wish we could do. We just don't have the resources to do it. And hopefully we can have a conversation later on here of how we've worked to solve those resources since we operated in 2016. Yeah. Um, but finalized the curriculum, finalized the space, went back out to the listserv, uh, and if you are aware of Northern Virginia, this will make perfect sense to you when I say this statement. Um, somebody's family had a foundation and called <laughs> us and said, hey, can I fund the first program? And the answer was uh -huh. yes. And in the meantime, I set up a 501c3. I called every friend of mine who had a skill set, my attorneys, my CPAs, my comms people. I was like, I need to give you, you got to give me a year so we can get this up and running. And if you want to stay with me, awesome. But give me a year of your time. Yeah. Uh, and so we launched our first program um, in the spring of 2016 for 42 girls, the local library split across three age groups, K to second, third through fifth and sixth through eighth. Um, and delivered our program. Uh, and now we've served over 15,000 kids across the U.S. in that timeline. So that's Rosie. That's so neat. That's how it came to be from from my timeline. Wow. That's that's a heck of a story. So uh, there's so much to, to dive into on this. Um, I want to start with your love of data. Um, where did that love come from? I mean, because as, as we're talking about that, that interest in STEM, science and, and math really wanes, particularly in young women in, in, at an earlier age, right? And, and so where did your love from data come from? And how did you maintain that throughout, you know, some of those challenging times? So I have been referred to as Spock-like <laughs> in my life. So maybe that's a goofy thing. <laughs> 
incredibly logical. I like information, right? I truly believe that there's a solution to any problem. We just got to break it down, right? And we can figure it out from there. So I'd say there's just like a natural part of me that's driven towards numbers and information, but it's more so the story. Right. Sure. There's always data to be captured because there's audiences. Right. I come from communications as a background. My degree is right. in international affairs, but like people, relations of people, all of that has data sets surrounding it. And when we take the time to really kind of look at the data, look at the information we're capturing, and that doesn't just mean quantitative, right? Qualitative is just as important, right? What's the anecdote? If you're running a campaign and you're door knocking and you hear just a soundbite from somebody of the way they actually see that candidate or that person, you're getting a lot more information than just the checkbox on the on the, the um, quantitative capture. Sure. But when you can take all of that data, you can really start to, to understand the depth of a problem, right? right. What is What are the nuances of it? Um, and I... I'm a problem solver, right? I like to look at where, what's the answer? It was, I'm, I'm the don't tell me no, tell me how, right? We can get there. It's just breaking down the components of, of what those barriers look like. Um, and I always say, we solved the first part of this, this issue of retention of women in STEM, and we're growing our programs to meet each of those levels, right? We now go through high school. We started, when we initially started, we ended in middle school, and we've evolved as a part of our own pathways through that. Um, mm -hmm. But all of that data at each point tells us where we need to fix things. Um, wow. So I've kind of lived through it, whether it's telling the story of a candidate or telling the story of a product or looking at kind of the solutions to problems when we are building organizations. Um, I think the data tells a big story. Um, yeah. Even Or the lack of data tells a big story um, when you're looking at things. So, I don't know, Spock and... Communications is the answer. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I do. I love it. Um, so, so tell us about um, your thoughts as far as uh, the role of of STEM education in in really shaping that that future um, interest in manufacturing, engineering, uh, et cetera, careers, especially in women, because. Uh, you're you're giving us a lot of great data, um, but that that STEM education seems to be lacking in a lot of schools and a lot of programs. Um, you know, I I volunteer at at my kids' schools uh, just to do uh, STEM fairs, and but that's really all they get in in any given uh, school year when it comes to STEM specific education. Tell us more about the role of that in in crafting the future. Yeah, so I think there's a there's a couple of different narratives as a part of that. Um, the first part is the importance of STEM education overall is the fact that STEM drives innovation, right? We're looking yeah. at the solutions for tomorrow. And more importantly, the solutions of tomorrow have to be built by a diverse team, right? Because the world is diverse. And so, right. and, and I won't dive into all the, the data and the numbers there, but diverse teams equal innovation, right? Diverse yep. teams equal growth. Like th that speaks for itself. You don't believe right. it, look at it. Right, it's there. It's robust, and so bringing in previously underrepresented populations into that space is a critical component of that. If we looked at, you know, changing safety culture, evolving, innovating, all of those things, we need all of those voices at the table and yeah. resourced accordingly to be a part of that. Um, so that's the first part of things. In mm -hmm. terms of some education, the they. There's more of a conversation around it in terms of the mm -hmm. difficulties of sometimes implementation. I'd say part of it goes back to confidence, right? Which seems wild, right? But the that, numbers of times that I have conversations with people who go, well, I can't teach that because I'm, I can't teach circuits because I'm not an electrical engineer. And I'm like, you're uh. not an electrical engineer to teach circuits, right? You don't have to be 180% qualified to teach this subject, um, sure. but we can resource you accordingly. The other thing is the strain in particularly K through fifth grade classrooms, right? Yeah. We're coming out of a global pandemic. We're coming out of a trauma, right? Not that it was great before then, but we're still dealing with a kind of acute carryover of those things. And so you have classroom teachers who are A, trying to pick up for a gap that still hasn't been repaired. B, are being are effectively dodging tests left, right, and center because people are determined that the data must say that this wasn't actually a problem. Right. Um, and it's already been fixed. So their, their time in the classroom is limited. 
And then you add the confidence of teaching it onto things and things get complicated, right? And it's resource barriers. It's time, right? It's time in the classroom. It's time outside of the classroom. It's time individually with a student. Mm-hmm. It's materials and resourcing. It's vetting the stuff that's really going to be impactful in the classroom versus checking a box that it was STEM. There's a lot of that out there. Um, for classroom teachers that just go, I don't want to do this thing again because they did it last time. It didn't work and it was really frustrating. And that makes sense. So yeah. when I mentioned that we'd had our panel of teachers when we first started with our curriculum and their answer was, this is everything that we wish we could do, but we don't have the resources. There's layers to that resource question in terms of implementation um, and working was kind of vetting and figuring out what that looks like. So we have a number, we have four core programs. One of those core programs is what we call Rosie Labs, um, which is our in-school work. And our okay. in-school work, the way that we've worked to solve those problems is the resource question. So it's our typical hands-on STEM projects. They've, you know, work, we've done them a million times, um, but productive struggle is built into them, right? So instead of just saying there's a productive struggle, it's written in like big roll bold letters at the top of the, the guides that say your kids are going to have a hard time with this. This is expected, right? It is wow. not the expectation that they're, it's going to be all sings and roses, but we will, they will get there at the end and it will be okay. Wow. All the materials get delivered to them. They're aligned to learning standards. So they have to hit it in the classroom, right? So the timeline makes sense for them. Um, it's one page. And when I mean one page, it's one page with like an overhead build video. I am not asking them to spend hours of their day resourcing themselves to deliver a hands-on opportunity. But because we do that, right, it means that the 45 less, 45 minutes on a good day, that's allotted to STEM education in the K through fifth grade space in the average classroom. And that's mm-hmm. being generous, right? During that time, we can just focus on build. We can just focus on building critical thinking and problem-solving skills by getting stuff wrong before they get them right, which is beneficial to all kids. It's not just beneficial yeah. to girls, but it's particularly beneficial to girls in the K through fifth grade space um, by answering those resources. So but at the same time, we're building teacher confidence that they can facilitate this stuff because they could. I don't have to. I mean, like, that's not something I have to prove. Like, I know they can. It's just resourcing yeah. them to do it. Like, that's what they do every day. Um, I just want to make sure that we're making it easier. And so sometimes you run into that with admin and all kinds of things where they go, why don't teachers just create this magical thing? And it's like, (laughs) they don't have time to create the magical thing. So what I want to do is give them the tool to effectively set off their magic and make kids feel good about themselves and do what they do well without asking them to do more work. And I think the more that kind of... Specialists who are having conversations with communities and adapting accordingly to community needs are where you can kind of offload that labor and build the confidence needed to facilitate. So if we can build confidence, decrease the resource time to allocate and increase accessibility, then we can really start to solve particularly those early elementary school options in the STEM space. And that's just one part of that. No, I love that. I know plenty of high schools, even some community colleges that have a hard enough time staffing manufacturing technology type programs, right? Um, And and a lot of that is comfortability, right? Uh, With the the subject matter, right? There aren't a whole lot of high school teachers that um, while they're getting their teacher certification, say, I want to teach manufacturing technology, right? So mm-hmm. that that pool is is smaller. And I've talked with a couple of uh, people about how we can solve that issue. And one thing was, you know, externships just to increase that comfortability. Um, but I love the fact that you are with the younger age educators, uh, not only providing them resources, but helping them become more comfortable in, in this journey and, and at least introducing young minds to, to STEM programs. Did I get that right? Yeah. I mean, if you can make the first implementation plug and play, as I describe it, right, as easy to implement as possible, they have the yeah. tools to then go back and use that resource again and again, right? But yeah. the first time needs to be plug and play, right, that they can deliver without, they're tired, <laughs> like they need they just need the support to 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 help them do it and then they know what they're doing as educators it's just so and and the thing with stem the thing with manufacturing the thing with so much of this it's changing at a rapid clip 
right? And so the externship model, the opportunity to bring in, I'm a big believer in private public partnerships um, because the industry is shifting all the time. I think that the role in the schools, particularly in the role that we work with our partners is I want to build critical thinkers. I want to build problem solvers who have the confidence to adapt because the needs of the manufacturing workforce today are not going to even be the needs of most of the manufacturing workforce in six months. Right. Mm -hmm. It's constantly innovating. It's growing. It's changing. It's the nature of the world we live in now with advanced technologies. Um, And so I want a workforce that's excited to enter there, that's resourced accordingly. Right. Knows how to access those spaces and and develop through them, but is is adaptable because I want them to be able to pursue the next opportunity that opens up and change with those spaces. Um, And I think the more that we can look at having that flexibility of a workforce versus specialization with our younger kids. I think specialization happens in a work environment, right? And we can do yeah. that and then you do exactly what you want. But if you have an adaptable critical thinker and problem solver, you can put them anywhere. Sure. Makes total sense. Um, Brittany, tell, uh, walk us through, um, you know, what the program entails. Uh, so if I had, a, a, if we were here in Phoenix and we went to Paradise Valley uh, Union school district or paradise valley school district and said uh we want to give you this program or or provide you this resource um and the administrator and school district looked at us and said what what does that mean how would you explain the the process and the the curriculum that students would go through uh starting in in kindergarten and, and moving on up so the, the soundbite is plug and play STEM programming that focuses on productive struggle that reinforces learning standards for classroom teachers, right? Okay. Uh, in terms of implementing that in an individual school, it starts with a conversation, right? How much okay. time do you have for STEM education in the school day? What are your focus areas within what's outlined from your standards of learning, right? Because each school has different priorities and timelines. Um, yeah. We do what we do well, but there's flex in that to make it accessible to communities. Each community need is different. And honestly, okay. to have the conversation, to have that bit of flex is not that hard, right? It's just starting there and saying, let's have a conversation. Let me know what you're focused on for the year. Let me know which lessons you think you really need enforcement with, right? Is it order of the planets, right? For instance, in fourth grade, which it may very well be, you know, like, let's see what that is. Um, And then we will pull from our projects, right? And and align to that. We typically look to partner with um, a industry in the region. I'm a big believer that I like for kids to know what opportunities surround them um, in terms of our school partnerships. So we'll go in and say, you know, we were talking in um, Florida about the fact that tele-ties exist there, right? I want you to know what happens in that building, right? I want you to know what's going on. I want you to know what career is available there. And I want you to know what resources they're offering to get you into that job, particularly in in communities who haven't been present there before. Um, And so we'll go in and we'll, we'll tailor to both that subject area. And then ideally what careers locally are attached to it, which seems wild, right? To do with fourth graders, But you start, I mean, career paths start to get set in elementary school. The idea of Uh what could be gets set in that timeline. I always Uh say it's about shifting the horizon line, right? If your narrative your whole time, your whole life has been college isn't on the table for me or technical specification isn't on the table for me because I have to go and I have to work and this is what I need to do. And that's not, that's not for me, right? And it's the same narrative you get from your, your parents and you and your community because that's what has been. Then. If you find out about an opportunity when you're 17 or 18, it's a lot harder to go, oh, that's for me, right? Even if it is being tailored to me. So within that work that we do in the elementary school space, we go through middle school and high school, and there's variances of those programs. But in the elementary school space, right, there's an adjustment of what does that look like? I want to send home in that paperwork. By the way, if you go and work at the Boeing factory and you, you can get a degree, your undergraduate degree paid for. Because now I know I can get a good paying job and a degree if I want that, if that's what works best for me. And so we tailor to those things. And then all of the materials get packaged for classroom teachers. It happens in one of two ways, depending on what we have available from resource. Either they'll be individually packaged, um, typically with our our industry partner. It's a great employee engagement opportunity for them. Um, And they go into the classrooms and they open them up and they do their kits and their kits reinforce what they're learning. Everything that they create with us is um, what we call continually interactive. So it goes home with them, 
And it's designed to go home with them and not just be like slime oozing out of their hands, right? It's it's designed to be something I can share with a parent. I can talk about what I learned. It goes home with a one pager, right? That says, this is what we did today. This is what this explores. This is the STEM I'm looking at. And importantly, this is the resource. This is, this is who brought this to us. And this is how they, this is why they did that, right? I don't think that's a bad thing to say this company wants to hire you, right? Like right. you are the talent that they want in your community. Absolutely. Um, so we partner through that. And so to date, everything that we've brought into schools has been partner has been funded by our partnerships. So we're not wow. going in and selling a product. We're looking to solve a problem in the community through public private partnerships in relationship to that delivery. Um, and we typically start, we, so we will not go in and do a classroom. We'll do a whole grade level for the school because again, wow. It's not a question of like this teacher is really great at that, but the other one is more intimidating. Everybody does it. Um, and so that's always the baseline of entry. And wow. then we evolve from there. So we have schools, you know, we started one and now we do the whole school every year. Um, and ideally work to a place where we can support um, if it works for their timelines, right? Everybody's different, right? But ideally get to a place where we have an, a quarterly project with those grades. Um, wow. He's like, can we do a weekly project? And I'm like, no, we can help because time for that. But we could do a quarterly project and reinforce it. And then the, the cool thing with that is we get to then have re-engagement. So the kids get sure. to do that project year on year, build from it. Um, and, you know, where applicable in communities, there's also the space to bring in um, those supporters to career days, to talk further about those opportunities, to really just see what could people always say within STEM, you can't be what you can't see, right? It's the great salary. Right. Right? Um, but the reality is it's true, but it's also true for resources to access opportunities. You can't, you don't know what you don't know. So the more that we can have those conversations in the elementary, middle school, high school space and reinforce that through continued engagement, we really get to kind of change what's happening as a part of those pathways and opportunities to, to on-ramp in to these spaces. Wow. And, and what I really love about I, I love it all. But one of the things that stood out to me, Brittany, is uh, the the information that then goes home. One thing that I hear over and over again is uh, stories about parents not wanting their kids to go into manufacturing or, or engineering fields because uh, they have this idea of what manufacturing used to be, and they feel like it's not the right career path for their kids, right? So at a, at a very young age, Rosie and, and you are are educating the parents and, and even, I guess, in some situations, providing them with uh, a career pathway if into something better if that partnership does work out for them to go work out, correct? Absolutely, right? Um, and I'm the product of a single mother household, right? My mother was a fantastic mother. She did not have the resources to dive in every time I had a new interest, right? She right. It also was pre like normal use of Google, right? Like maybe <laughs> aging myself there. But <laughs> but the, the the reality is, if I, I want to make it easy for you yeah. to have an entrance, and it goes back to that confidence conversation. You don't have yeah. to be intimidated by the subjects that are coming home. You are more than capable of supporting your kid and navigating those things, especially if we can look at resources to point you to and take that labor off of it, right? Yeah. It's more of just how can we reduce time and labor into accessing these spaces so that we can have those populations participating and making it even easier, right? And making it yeah. even more improved as a part of those things. Um, that came out of, we do a project where we code in Python and a kid came home and talked to their parent about the fact that they had coded in Python. And I got a call from a parent that was like, I didn't know they were going to play with snakes. And I was like, nope, I didn't play with snakes. It was like, totally different Python. Totally different <laughs> Python. But here's what it is and here's the resource, right? And so you can you know more about it for you and your kid, right? And so it's, it's funny, but at the same time, it's just the reality. You don't know what you don't know. And if you've never, the only Python you ever heard of was a snake, that's what you think happened, right? Yep. So um, we work really hard to, to, to resource that, but we're constantly adapting and looking at accessibility for that. Um, wow. We do surveys at the end of every program that we deliver. Um, and so we also have military programs, which we see kids for two hours on a Saturday and they take their project home. And on our wow. recent survey, we had a parent go, I'd really love follow-up resources. And we were like, we have them. <laughs> we send them in an email after class. 
But in the world of reality right now, not everybody's checking their email and their emails are oversaturated with a ton of different things. Um, and so we're adapting to that, right? We're changing those emails into an existing standing web page where they'll get a business card that they take with them because we're trying to reduce paper, but that's not always the most accessible answer. We were just honest with you. So we're going to give them a business card with a QR code that says, go here, keep it in your wallet. Any day after the kids come home, you can check it and the resources are there for you to, and there's follow-up questions, right? How do you talk to your kid about it? Where are the additional resources? Your kid, you know, your kids obsessed with circuits. Here's the projects you can go and do, whether they're on our website or with another partner. Um, and then we get this collective confidence boost in navigating kids into these next opportunities. Um, and I would argue that there's not going to be a career in the future that isn't touched by STEM. So everybody right. needs to be in a, like associated with pursuing these STEM opportunities. Um, and the greater kind of awareness and support that we can provide, the better. And I think that comes from my comms hat, to be perfectly honest with you, is how do you communicate complex subject matters to non-subject matter experts? Everybody can figure it out. It's just a conversation of how it's presented. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Speroni. Revolutionize your shop floor with Speroni, where cutting-edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Speroni. Experience, tradition, the future. So uh, when you and I had our introductory call, I guess we'll call it. Um, we had a lot of fun, um, but you also told some really neat stories. Uh, share with us a, a success story or, or two um, of the, the Rosie program. This is my favorite part. <laughs> you know what we do. Uh, so I have the incredible honor now to have girls who started in our program who are now in college, um, who are doing amazing things. Uh, That's awesome pretty cool. I look forward to the days when they're in the STEM workforce and being a part of that. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of different touch points. I've got an instructor of ours uh, who worked with us through uh, graduate school, who's now going into a very large climate change role um, that wow. she's been working towards, which is awesome. Um, we've got a girl who's currently in our high school program called Rosie Innovators, who we've known since the third grade. <laughs> she wow. just, she's in the final stages of finishing her goal, the world award for the Girl Scouts from a STEM project that she made for the community through our programs um, that she's doing with outreach. Uh, wow. We have a young girl, young girl, young woman, she's not even more, a woman, <laughs> studying uh, aerospace at Yale, um, who came through our programs, who prior to coming to Rosie didn't have an interest in pursuing STEM. Wow. Um, I'm pretty sure I want her in the ecosystem. She's amazing. Um, I want to talk to her. <laughs> you can totally talk to her. Her name's Ava. She's amazing. Um, she, but she, right with our public-private partnership, she signed with Boeing for Boeing STEM Signing Day, which is effectively wow. like their, it's like college recruitment, but instead of signing athletes, they sign those pursuing STEM careers. And now That's she'll so cool. type in as a part of that internship. So the funds that they provided us to provide the initial engagement that sparked her interest, right? Now she's coming it's turning into a potentially potentially a job for her i don't know where she'll ultimately land but the opportunities of connection are, are absolutely there um but even the little moments are impactful right watching a kid go from don't me wrong the first two things we hear in a program particularly particularly in our longer format ones are this is hard and it's not fair because in our longer format projects are a little bit different than the in-school space because what's realistic in terms of delivery in that timeline. Sure. But in our, in our Saturday programming, which we predominantly do for military families, we don't have step-by-step -step instructions, right? You build from a completed example and a table of materials, and we do a pre-lesson. And so productive struggle is built in to the bill. Uh, and so that's really neat. Yeah, that this is hard and it's not fair comes from, what do you mean you're not going to tell me how to build this thing? Because you, know? mm -hmm. <laughs> you can do it, right? Yay, that's back to the Rosie connection <laughs> as it comes out of my mouth. Um, but I love the it. moment of watching a kid be on the borderline of tears, that this isn't something they can do and helping them through that process and finding them go from, I can't to look what I did is yeah. not only goosebump inducing, but is the reason why we do what we do, right? It's the reason yeah. why volunteers volunteer with us and then turn into teachers, right? Um, in terms of, of that outreach, there's nothing 
like it. Um, wow. And having young women find their confidence to know that they don't have to get an A on the test to be acceptable or accessing or valuable in a space. They don't have to be perfect to be there, right? Their input, their perspective is what we need. And being able to empower the process at the, is the, the bed and butter, butter of what we do, right? It, it is the success story in and of itself. But the continued engagement model means that I get to write college recommendation letters for those young women. And That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and the conversation with the climate change, I got to, you know, get on the phone and be like, yes, you should hire her. She's incredible. <laughs> like, you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, hire her now. Um, and and so we're getting to really see the shift in, in participation in those pathways and opportunities. Um, and along the way, right, again, look at the data and work to solve problems, not at the problem point, but where we can find accessibility for communities. And so there's it. a lot of those anecdotes, but really it comes from this isn't fair to look what I did um, yeah. and that process all the way through. Yeah. My daughter's in, in eighth grade and um, she absolutely hates math and it breaks my heart uh, every day. Right. Um, and I wish I had known about Rosie about four years ago, because I would have, uh, you know, definitely utilized some of those resources um, I don't think she's beyond, uh, you know, capturing again. Um, but she, she, it just, it's hard for her. She was always that child who just got things scholastically, right? Um, she w was a kid who would come home from school and play school, right? And, and so, uh, it, it, to your point, it's just been interesting as she's grown, uh, the subjects that she does struggle with are the, her least favorite subjects. The ones that she has to put more effort in because she did, everything else came naturally. Our son, on the, on the other hand, he's nine. Um, he's struggled academically. I mean, COVID was kindergarten, right? Like the world shut down in the middle of kindergarten for him. Um, first grade started out online. Um, School has been a struggle for him and for a lot of the, the kids, boys and girls in, in his grade. Um, and, and so I haven't seen that drop off yet of, you know, confidence because he's having to do hard things because school's been hard since he started. Um, so it, as you're talking through that, it's just clicking in my head. Yeah. And I would, and I would, I would. Make a point that likelihood, though, even if COVID hadn't been a reality, I'm not saying he would have had as much of the struggle in, in sure. COVID. That's, I mean, I think we all like to blink and make COVID not a reality. But it's just where the curriculum set is versus where boys are compared to girls in their academic timeline. They yeah. are going through the, even if it's down to stay in your chair, right? Oh, yeah. The way that they're developmenting. Like they're used to having a productive struggle. They're actively building a growth mindset because they get it wrong and then they get it right. And then they're confident that they're going to figure it out. So they yeah. get the C on the test in calculus and they're like, whatever, I'll get the grade later. Right. right. Or I still got it. And it's not, a, it's not a reflection of me. I can figure this out yeah. on a whole. Right. But when girls are going in and getting like my daughter, when she doesn't get a hundred percent on a test, doesn't love it. And I am yeah. the, Productive. I mean, I literally put her on a rock climbing wall so she'd fall down, right? Like, so she'd have her own productive struggle. I'm like, I'm going to make this work, friend. You got to have failure in your life. But it's academically, she's just in a she's she's in a different spot compared to her peers. She thankfully yeah. loves math. There's also in a, there's also when we talk about the data around kind of how we solve problems and coming back to that point, like there's the, not only the interaction of the productive struggle and all those things, but there's also societal conversations about math, the conversations that math is hard, the conversations that math is tricky. My daughter just bought in the used bookstore because this is the nature of her. She bought a math dictionary because she loves math. The introduction in the math dictionary was math can be intimidating and hard. And she was like, I don't think math's intimidating and hard. It's in the math book, right? She was like, she was like, why are you telling me this when I don't think it's that way? Like, why are you trying to change my opinion? Right. Don't so, sway me. <laughs> yeah. It's 
common, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the really, one of my favorite lessons that we do with Rosie is our binary code project, which is a, okay. right? Um, and the basic language of computers. But the math lesson of it is re- is a big pivot for a lot of kids in relationship to how they approach math. Because we talk about the fact that the likelihood of the why- reason why we have a base 10 system is that we have 10 fingers, right? Um, and that then you start to wrap your head around all the relationship of base 10, right? And how math works with each other. Sure. And I always say to kids, if you can, if you can get down your arithmetic, you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. All the rest of math is literally order of operations, yeah, right? Unless absolutely. you get into theoretical math and we can drive that rabbit hole another time, right? But those core skills, that's all math. That's the beauty of math, right? It doesn't yeah. change. But that's not the way it's presented, right? It's presented as this big labor of a thing that happens a lot in a lot of spaces. But yeah. here, oh, I'm not good at math. I don't do math. Math's not my thing. Um, and then you add on top of it just the lack of connectivity that happens with a lot of math. Math feels very abstract in a lot of instances. And there's more and more work with teachers who are adjusting spaces. But it's not uncommon for all of the fields of STEM in terms of the interaction or intimidation that carries with it. The number of women who work in STEM, who are grown adults who I interact with, who do not identify that they're in STEM. Every every accountant I talk to is like, oh, I, you know, I love STEM. And I'm like, you're in STEM. You're the M. <laughs> you are there. Like, that's you. Like, that's what you do all day. And they're like, oh, I don't want to be. And they only identify it as engineering. I'm just like, no, no. There's a lot of layers here and they all interconnect. And so it it just goes back to how are we shifting that confidence? How are we making the comfort level that you don't have to have the answer? And honestly, that you don't have to approach the problem in the way that everybody else has and that you can be slower in delivery of that objective, right? Because then I get innovation. We have a, I'm going to, I'm going to go off on a tangent and tell a quick story. It's one of those like, please do. So, we had a girl in our class who um, we were making kinetic butterflies, um, which are okay. basically, if you've ever seen the boxes online that people open up and the butterflies fly out at them. Probably yeah. Okay. Podcast. Yeah. So they jump out of people. It's basically a wind up toy that gets released when the box gets released. Okay. And so I reverse engineered those and I was like, how do we make them in the classroom with popsicle sticks and rubber bands? I really want to make them. I want to make things fly out of books. And so we make this, what is my basic model of a kinetic butterfly and it's a piece of straw with a thing through it and you twist it up and you build up enough of a wind and you put it into the book and it launches out and has lift. Um, we always say in our classes, this is a functioning model, right? It meets objection, mean, objective, meaning I have kinetic energy and when I open the book, it flies out. The rest yep. of it is up to you. And excuse me, sorry, I have to not disturb on everything. <laughs> um, then it must be important if you need to take it. No, I think it's because it's my mother, so it overrid everything. She's fine. She's uh, really okay. okay. So going back to my story. So yeah. The, um, I'm going to actually turn this off just so that it doesn't happen again. Uh, she was in our class and she completely changed. Jesus, take the way now it's another person. I don't know what's happening. I'm sorry. Slide and power this off. Okay. It's off. The Jesus take the wheel is the best part of that. <laughs> Tell me you're from the South without telling me you're from the South. Because that's not a statement that happens here in Arizona very often. So thank you for that. And <laughs> now it's ringing from my phone. Even my How is that even possible? Now my computer is ringing, despite the fact that my phone is off. Okay, seriously, Apple, I'm going to put myself to sleep. Does that stop it? Now I'm asleep, according to my Okay. Go back to this. Okay. <laughs> we are making kinetic butterflies. They have to follow the basic model, right? Um, how they adjust that, I don't mind, as long as it flies out of the book. Yeah. And they go through their whole build process. We had really cool adaptations. Instead of wings, I had golden snitch wings and dragonflies, and they oh, were all cool. butterflies, and that was awesome. But I had one girl in my class who totally flipped it. So instead of it being a horizontal butterfly wings that, that lifted, she effectively adjusted it to almost be like a helicopter. Hmm. When it opened, it flew straight up. It was an awesome adaptation of the project. And I was like, I'm obsessed. I love it. Please <laughs> let me talk about it. Blah, blah, blah. 
you haven't noticed from this, like I'm a talker, I'm a big personality. Part of my success is associated with the fact that I can talk about what I do. Yes. So I said, you know, will you get up and talk about your adjustment? And um, she was like, I can't talk in front of people. And I was like, okay. And this is one of the things I, I bring all of my teachers through inclusive classroom training. And one of the things that like I have to check with myself, right? For me, my communication skills have been part of my success. It doesn't mean everybody has to be like, they have their own success, right? So it's sure. that, like I check with my own bias to be like, okay, how do I adapt to this? And so I said to her, look, I really want to share your innovation. Two options. A, can I present it and talk about what you did just so we can share the inputs of difference of what got made? Or B, yeah. can you tell me what you don't like about presenting? And she said, well, I've got some sensory stuff and it's too much input. When people are looking at me, it's too much coming in. And I was like, okay. I was like, would you be open to the idea of talking at the back of the room and I'll like Vanna White your project, right? And <laughs> talk about what it is. Um, and she was like, yeah, I think I could do that. And so I showed her project at the front of the room and she talked in the back about all the ways she'd adjusted her design. And it was this, it still like makes me cry because it was this amazing moment that nobody, it wasn't weird for anybody, right? right. Like they all asked questions, it got answered. We got her input into the world. Her process was different. Her output was different. It was way better than my model, right? It was yeah. awesome. And at the end of it, she came up and she said, you know, that was really cool. I don't always get to use my voice. And I got to talk about what I did. Oh, my God. And so it's not just building these skills. It's also empowering the confidence in their process and their yeah. approach and bringing in that difference into the space because that's wow. innovation, right? Like, that's what it's all about. Um, and so th those are the moments that when we talk about impacts, like are huge um, and that my approach to it might be successful for me or been successful for in other spaces. But if the other space hasn't had a moment to find its way in, we don't know what that looks like. Wow. Um, and that's that's what I'm excited for about STEM in the future is the yeah. more inclusive we get. I don't even know what tomorrow looks like, but I'm really excited for it because there's wow. so much out there that hasn't been tapped. I love it. I love that story. Um, <laughs> we're, we're coming up on uh, some of the last questions, but before I get to that, uh, Brittany, talk to us about the, the public private partnerships that you have. What are, what are some of the key partners that you have out there that you'd like to, to give a shout out today? Yeah, well, I think one of the important ones to circle back on is how we got connected. So um, we've worked with Boeing for a number, a number of years. Um, they're a great community partner of ours. Um, through them, um, I have a board member, uh, Malvina, who serves on the Boeing board. A friend of hers is at is Zoraida Velasco at Florida Makes. And she was like, you all just have to meet, right? And so Zoraida and I met and we got on like a house on fire. Like we were clearly <laughs> mentioned to each other. I adore her. Um, and... And we were talking about, she was talking about manufacturing and pipeline and workforce development. And we were having a conversation about the work that Rose Rivers does in public private partnerships yeah. and the work that we had done in the pro AV space. So we also have a group, we have great partners um, with CoWaveIt um, and AV Gives, which is effectively a collaboration of the AV industry to invest in workforce development, particularly through wow. women's engagement. And so we're talking about this work that we had done. And she said, well, look, I'd really love to look at how we can do um, early engagement in manufacturing. And she was a Girl Scout in Columbia years ago and had just re-engaged with the Girl Scouts in her area in Florida. And um, was friends with the CEO, Marianne Berry, of the Citrus Council. And okay. she's like, we got to have this conversation with Marianne. And so we so we came all together and Marianne said, look, I love this. The least done badges in my council are STEM badges, right? Um, and the answer, the, the, when you go back to the confidence point, the reason why is troop leaders didn't feel confident in teaching the subject matters. And there's wow. a lot of different like options and tools. It just felt like a lot. And so um, Zoraida had said, could we do a manufacturing kit from Rosie's work? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's storytelling. It's talking mm -hmm. about the connection points and how they relate to you. And so we took four of the existing brownie badges um, and so we did robotics, uh, ro robotic design, uh, manufa automotive manufacturing, uh, um, 
engine, engine, reverse design engineering. We did four courses of flight and a fling flyer. And so we looked at STEM careers. Um, wow. Which is an exploration badge, but we did binary code for that. We took four of our projects, we put them into a box, all the materials that we do in a classroom space, packaged them, but then told the stories of manufacturing with each, each of those. And then additionally told the stories of local industry and women in Florida who worked in the manufacturing world as a part of that STEM career exploration match. And so um, Marianne was like, let's get them out to our Girl Scouts. I love this, right? I adore the Girl Scouts as a partner. Their commitment to accessibility in communities cannot be you know, in any way shortchanged. Like they, they pay for people to go in and facilitate troops and they have volunteer, like they, they have a commitment to it that I think is commendable um putting money in where mouth is in terms of their their objectives yeah and so we went back as a part of that partnership conversation that you asked for and said hey who wants to be a part of this and boeing manufacturing usa the lift and the arm institute funded 600 of those four badge boxes um for girl scouts in the state of florida and the opportunity for us to go to the girl scout national convention in july in orlando awesome Um, so we distributed, we, we did initially a pilot of 80, made some quick tweak adjustments based on the data that we pulled back, meaning we put more sticky tech in for the automotive manufacturing project because they went through it faster and things like that, which is important when you're building things. Um, and then we distributed out to 600, but we had requests from Girl Scout councils across the country of how to do okay. this and how do, they, how do they connect with their industry and how do they do this for their troops? Yeah. And so... Um, so Ryda, myself, and Marianne took that program and the, the, that success of the model and presented it at the, the MEP forum, right, where you learned mm-hmm. about us and talked about what this looked like and how we could provide plug-and-play optionality for organizations to deliver engaging STEM opportunities that not only prepared the future workforce for future workforce needs, but more importantly, really talked about where they could connect to opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so by doing that, right, what we've got is not just a company or an organization saying, oh, I have a commitment to diversity in my workforce, right? You've got a company going, I'm going to invest in my local community to help me bring that workforce that's sitting in my backyard into my building. Um, and that's where we really get to change lives as a part of it. Um, yeah. we work with, And we've had just incredible opportunities to work with companies who are doing just that whether it's Boeing or Amazon Web Services, who we're working with on a national level and their Girls Tech Day initiative and their commitment to underserved communities. They're incredible. Um, they've got a plethora of programs and options of everything of putting labs into schools with their Think Big Spaces um, so that they can have hands-on makerspaces in classrooms to doing staple events. Um, or it's Boeing with their future re- for future U resources for schools and communities. Um, or it's, you know, working with Microsoft women's groups who are hosting our high school cohort on a monthly basis. Um, wow. Or Verizon, who funded our military programs and Maxar. Um, right. All manufacturers, right? All people who are making things for solutions for tomorrow, um, which is incredible, right? And we get to yeah. show them the breadth. But for us, for our kids, we get to show them the breadth of opportunity. And not only the breadth of opportunity, but where these organizations are ready to step up to create resources to pathway them into these opportunities. And our big work is to say, let's talk to them about those opportunities before they're ready to apply for them. Let's get them into a space where they identify it as their opportunity um, so that we can resource accordingly. And in the meantime, let us enable us to be able to listen to communities and adapt appropriately to make programs that are not only accessible, but that those those partners who are creating the most accessible spaces for those students come back and go, I want to keep doing this. Because then we don't have a one and done. We have continued engagement. And that's where we really get to change the playing field. So... I, I mean, typically I ask what three things uh, companies have done to, to change your culture um, as one of the final questions. Um, what are what are three things that people can do locally uh, to, to help this cause um, it, wherever they're listening, right? I mean, uh, I'm in Arizona. I'd love to do something here. How can we get involved? 
I'd say connect us with the industry in your area who you think would be a good fit where we can have that conversation to facilitate. That's step one. Um, I always say in terms of the funding side of things is always, you know, see if your company has a corporate match, right? Because what you, what you, first of all, no gift is ever insignificant, right? But what you see as quote unquote, not significant enough to participate, you can get a match from your company. Maybe that changes your view of it, right? Sure. Every nonprofit is grateful for anything that people are participating (laughs) in. Yeah. Additionally, in relationship to those partners who can come and kind of support these initiatives and outreach, it's also those partners that would, are really good at doing accessible work in their communities, right? We okay. work with the affordable housing associations in our region or the local schools or our local libraries, um, or we work with an emergency housing organization um, where yeah. you know, we've adapted to provide kits that are available when there happens to be kids in there versus having and the data reporting there is different because it's should. Yeah. Um, and so we're just looking to build great community partnerships where we can do what we do well and communities can do, can work to solve all those other resource accessibility issues that are out there. Right. I'm not going to, Rosie Riveters is not going to solve the problem of feeding kids, but the work I do is irrelevant if a kid is hungry. Right. So being able to communicate with those community, collaborate with those community partners, um, is why we get to do what we do successfully. Um, sure. so it's just a question of who's that partner, what's that need, and where do we start a conversation? Um, because the individual ad- adaptability of what gets delivered should be bespoke to your community because your community is bespoke. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so what what haven't I asked you, Brittany, uh, that you want to share with, with the listeners? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I talk a lot. Um <laughs> I thought it was a great conversation. I'd be delighted to give you an overview of our four core programs, if that's helpful. Um, I don't know if they make a fit just so that some people hear school and they think that's the only place where we operate. And the reality is we have to operate in a bunch of different spaces to do what we do effectively. So we have our in-school operations, which are called Rosie Labs, which is where we go in the line to learning standards and deliver productive struggle opportunities in a classroom space simultaneously empowering teachers with the resources that they need to do what they do well. Um, Secondly, we have our military family programs, which are programs that are facilitated for military connected families and their communities, because that's a big part of it. So it's not just you have to be able to come to that. They're just in those ecosystems. Um, But we hire military spouses as program instructors to work with us on those projects. And the most beautiful thing about that has been as they have a permanent change of station as they move from one state to another with assignments, we move with them. So we launched that here in Northern Virginia, and that relationship has brought us into Jacksonville and Tampa, Norfolk. Um, And it means that we're going in and initially delivering for a community that the needs are pretty similar from place to place. Their surroundings change, right? Um, And being able to facilitate what's so often talked about as a negative, and don't get me wrong, it's a big lift and shift for military spouses as they move. But them moving means that I get the person who makes it work everywhere that they go to deliver a program and outreach in a tangible way. Um, and so we love that. Um, and so par- particularly partners who have an interest in supporting military families and some education, there's an incredible opportunity to explore there in terms of outreach. There's also data behind that, right? Women who have a background in the military are 30% more likely than their civilian counterparts to stay in STEM careers. But really? the majority of active forces are male. Right. But you have the now military families and spouses outnumber military personnel, which you'd be expected. Right. Right. In terms of that, that number data set. That makes sense. There's a population who's still within that ecosystem. So as we look at retention, there's a place to really build on that. And that's where that relationship came from. Um, wow. Was that data set. Uh, and then we have our STEM kits. So our STEM kits are where we partner, right? Everything from they went home with kids from National Military Families Association, which is a fantastic community partner of ours, so that those kids who made relationships at their camp could maintain them. And so the yeah. virtual programming that we started in COVID has been incredible for accessibility and connectivity. Those kids can also go out to community groups and partners and facilitators and companies and all of those things to, to have more opportunities for kids. And then finally, we have our digital resources that wrap around all three of those. Um, Whether it's a free project on our site that's available, or it's making all of those other three programs even more accessible to the communities that we're serving by making Mm -hmm. content easily engageable. So, Wow. That's awesome. Thanks. (laughs) I'm I'm so impressed, Brittany. Uh, The work that you're doing... um, 
to me is one of the best kept secrets and I don't want it to be a secret anymore. Um, not that I've got a, a massive <laughs> megaphone here, but um, you know, the more that we can get people aware of Rosie and, and the work that you're doing, um, I, I think we're going to be able to to make a, a huge impact on the industry. So uh, a huge fan of you and, and what you're doing. Uh, and I love that you love data. Um, <laughs> me, and, me and Spock, we're like... Yeah, absolutely. I, that might actually be the title of the episode. Um, the, the Spock of STEM. And... <laughs> um, but thank you very much for your time today, folks. That's a wrap on today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to Brittany Greer for joining us and, and sharing such powerful insights and and really the, the data that she brought to this conversation on how we can get young kids, particularly young, uh, young women, girls, uh, interested in, in STEM careers and, and STEM in general. Uh, her journey and the impactful work at Rosie Riveters is genuinely inspiring, as I was just saying. And it reminds me of uh, how crucial uh, inclusivity uh, is in the future of STEM and that that STEM then forms the future of manufacturing. Uh, so don't forget that you can dive deeper into this episode and any of our episodes uh, and, and explore more inspiring stories at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Connect with us, get involved in the conversation, contact Brittany, um, and, and find a wealth of resources uh, that to help shape the future of manufacturing. I do need to give another uh, huge shout out to our sponsor, Speroni, for their incredible support. Their commitment to excellence, excellence powers uh, this podcast, and, and it really mirrors the dedication uh, we see in the manufacturing industry every day. Um, now, I'm going to turn to you, uh, our amazing listeners. Thank you so very much for uh, being on this journey with us. Uh, thank you for your support, your emails, your reviews, your ratings on podcast platforms. Um, but I need you to, to spread the word uh, even more than you already are. Uh, share this episode with your friends, your colleagues, your grandma, anybody who's passionate about transforming uh, the manufacturing industry. Your support uh, is really my greatest strength. Um, in a future episode, I may read some of the reviews that I've been getting, good and bad, on these podcast platforms. Some of them are quite hilarious. Um, but please uh, take a minute, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to. Your feedback helps us grow and bring you even more engaging content. Uh, and it boosts us up the charts so more people hear about it and uh, we're, we continue to be able to grow. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode uh, where we're, we're going to continue to dive into the fa fascinating world of manufacturing culture, uh, bringing fresh perspectives and innovative ideas to the forefront and, and to the masses. Until then, keep making things. Have a great day. But my final thought to you is, is push boundaries uh, and inspire change. So to everybody out there, thanks for listening.